Welcome to A1 Audio Adventures. This is Jacob Merrick, and today's guest is Garrett Smith, the head manager at the Whiskey Exchange. He's placed in multiple competitions and probably the best bartender I know. Garrett, what's oh, up? Thank you. How's it going? Thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Not a problem, man. When I uh, started, and I was like, I want to do fitness, outdoor shit, and uh, rum. I knew you were going to end up being on this podcast. <laughs> Those are all things I love. Yes. Literally rum and, and outdoors. Oh, yeah. We can talk outdoors, too. We spent plenty of time drinking in the woods. Also, I do have to make a quick correction. I'm the head bartender as of now. I'm training to be manager. Oh, uh, I thought you'd already gotten the manager position. I'm training. I'm training for it. I'm not I'm not 100% there yet, so I don't want to – Bad research on my end. That's okay. I love my manager. I don't want to – I don't want to – I don't want to hear this one. <laughs> right. I'd hear it every day at work. <laughs> uh, subtly reminded or bluntly. No, not subtly. Very, very bluntly reminded constantly that I am not the manager yet. <laughs> no matter how much you think you are. Yep. And no matter how much I am, I'm still won't be. It's really a life life of inadequacy for me. <laughs> Just kicking you in the shins. <laughs> Constant pain. Yeah. But uh no, so you started back what, two thousand twelve ish bartending? Probably somewhere back then. Bartending, yeah, I started uh, right when I, my first shift was about a week and a half after I turned 21. Okay. And was that at Cleo's? Uh, no, I was, at, I was with uh, Ball State University Catering at the time. That's right. Yeah, I didn't start at Cleo's for another four or five months. Yeah. So you started out in catering. Yep. And now you've worked your way up to competing in competitions. You said you placed in the – second and two of the last three that you've done <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes i did um yeah i've worked uh, every position except for management up to this point all right so i've worked uh, all, all the spots of restaurant and service this is definitely the most fun <laughs> portion of my career i like the, the competing and the bartending the most um it's, it's a blast you know a lot of people like don't like working nights, but I love I love I love my nights. I sleep in late. I have the whole day to do stuff, and then I go to work. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I know you've always loved service. I don't understand it all the time, but <laughs> <laughs> me neither. <laughs> there's moments there's moments of love and lots of hate, but somehow the love seems to seems to outweigh it. It's the moments of hate that get you through it. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's what really fuels the night. But uh, coming from then till now, did you see yourself sticking with the industry or as far as progressing as you have? Was that a goal when you started out as a bartender? Because I see a lot of younger bartenders that are just kind of there for the paycheck. They don't really have a passion for it that I see yeah. when you oh, – yeah. Um, no, uh, when I first started out, I, you know, I was at Ball State catering cause I needed a job. Um, you know, being in college, 
and paying for most of it all myself, what well, isn't cheap. So I had to have a job. And then I got, I, once I actually got into like outside of just catering bartender working for the university, just with these restrictions. And I got into Cleo's, I never really planned on it to go where it did. Um, Cleo's was just, uh, you know, like I was 21 years old in college. I like to party, like to see my friends and I like to make money and what better job than a bartender. Um, and then it was somewhere along the line, I realized I loved it and that there was, I, I really discovered that, you know, there was a career, um, a respectable career in uh, service after that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, when I first started, I didn't realize there was this whole cocktail culture, this craft beer culture, this whiskey rum culture, you know, there's, there's so much, there's even, there's, you know, there's a whole style of rum and, um, cocktails called tiki that I never even knew about. And there's whole career paths within that single style. And I, yeah. I think when I found that out, that there were these options in an industry and a, and a style and a, you know, a job that I loved, that's when I was like, well, I should keep doing this. You went from thinking of bartending as like a 60 year old, bartender who's just kind of done the same thing his entire career to there's a niche that could you could fit and excel in exactly yeah and, and honestly it was it was craft beer that first got me into it um because that was kind of the first wave of alcohol like the real resurgence of craft spirits and 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 all these things um in america craft beer kind of led it so that really was what launched it is that there was this whole new wave of new styles coming to beer, which we had all known forever. Yeah. Well, I'm, you came up during the craft beer boom when they just microbreweries were popping up everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I drank a lot of them too. <laughs> yeah. I still what's, do. Uh, what's that app you used all the time? Untapped. Untapped. Yeah. I'm actually currently enjoying a zombie dust. By three yeah. Oh Yeah. They expanded. I can get it now. It's awesome. Oh, it's not like limited release anymore or limited location. It still is limited, but it's way more accessible. Okay. This is like I, I found it at Martin's the other day, but it was it was one six pack per person. All right. I remember back when my dad was working. I think he was working on the brewery and uh, for construction and. What I kept asking him to bring cases home, and he was like, "I can't do it. They won't let me." <laughs> <laughs> I bet he asked. <laughs> yeah, he probably did. No, my dad. Yeah, you remember that day I picked uh, you and Zach up from class to go to the liquor store to buy more zombie dust for me. Yeah, because you could only get so much per person. It was two per person, and I wanted a six pack, so I sent you each in with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you better too. Hmm. You used to get alerts on your phone, didn't you? No, I just knew the manager there. He was a regular at Cleo's. He was the, right. the manager of the friendly package, and he just came in on uh, for trivia. Yeah, so that's it, the thing, dear listeners. Get to know your bartenders. Treat them well. They'll treat you well. Oh, yeah. That's one of the problems I have with uh, – where was I? I was at the pub. down. It's literally called the pub. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, down in Orlando for it, right? Sunday. And they had they had the traditional bartenders, but on the wall they had some of those computerized ones where you just walk up, pour your tap, and then you pay. Yeah, yeah. 
And I'm not a fan of those because it takes away from the art and getting to know your bartender. Yeah, that's that's the thing. You know, the bars and saloons of old were these great gathering halls and they were pe- people came to meet and socialize and spread, you know, news and information to each other. Um, mm-hmm. And anymore, we rely on our technology for that. And I think if you're a fan of a good, a good beverage that going and talking to, you know, someone, someone else sitting in a bar or chatting with your bartender or your, you know, your cocktail waitress or waiter. Oh yeah. Is a great times do we go to uh, the Harat and we'd be playing board games and drinking and we- then we'd look over and our professors would be a couple tables down either sometimes grading papers, but other times catching up with other professors and stuff like that. Socializing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you know, there, it's where you, it's where you go to talk and hang out and socialize and laugh and enjoy and forget yeah. kind of the stress of the real world. And like, I don't really mind automated bars. I'm not worried about them because uh, I don't. That's I don't think bartending is going anywhere. No, I don't think like they could never infiltrate small towns, and that's a lot of your backbone of American bars is the smaller towns. Yeah. And I, I also think, I also think it won't infiltrate like higher level of service. Cause you know, you have to program the drinks and in, into the machine, but they'll, you know, machine sure. never re- replicate the ability of a bartender to make a drink up on the spot. That is incredible. Well, are you talking uh, cocktails and stuff now? Cause I'm still talking just craft beer stuff like that. Oh, Okay. No, so okay. If you're include, if you're, in, yeah, I was talking, yeah, craft cocktails. But if you're including beer, I have been to those self pour bars, uh-huh. and I think those are pretty awesome. Really? Um, yeah. You know, I don't think they're ever going to get rid of a bartender, especially you know if you go to, if you go to a brewery. I don't see any brewery ever putting that in. Uh, right. you know, the The bartender is the ambassador to the alcohol. So why would a brewery put a machine up there? when you know a bartender can do it better but you know in a place like colorado or san diego grand rapids where there's you know these massive amount of breweries those bars are a great way to try a lot especially if you're in town for just a night it gives you a chance to sample all the local options rapidly and you're not going to make some poor bartender pour you you know 31 ounce pours <laughs> yeah and i guess that cuts down a waiting time too yeah, you know, like I, I don't, you know, I would much rather have a bartender, but I don't want to make the poor, the poor guy pour me 30 different beers in a night. You don't want to be that guy? Yeah, you know, I'm just going to stand up there and pour off each one, so. Uh, just pour him a Bud Light and say this is what you get. Yeah, that that would hurt. <laughs> right. Actually, I I did have a Bud Light not too long ago. Really? I shotgunned it while golfing. <laughs> that makes sense. It is a golfing beer. Yeah, dude, it was great. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I got a kick out of that Super Bowl commercial with the uh, no corn syrup for Bud Light. <laughs> yeah. They had the mountain kill the night. Yeah. Like, nobody that drinks Bud Light cares that there's no <laughs> corn syrup. Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, like, 
they've been drinking it this long. And I, I drank it when it had high fructose corn syrup in it. I didn't care then either. I wouldn't care now. <laughs> no. The last time I bought Miller Lite, you know why I bought it? Because it was on sale. Yeah. That was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you know, when you're, unless, you know, if you're buying uh, bulk and cheap, do you really care? I used to drink Steel Reserve and Boxer Light. Like, I'm a, I don't want to tarnish those good names, but I don't know what's in those either. And they had some pretty intense flavors. No, and that's where I think they were trying to just mislead and play off of the Game of Thrones. They knew Game of Thrones people would pay attention. Yeah. I also think it's a, I think it's solid marketing too because they're losing you know ground to the craft beer movement, which uh, is a big movement about a lot of the craft beers are big on environmentally friendly practices, sustainability, organic, you know, homegrown, starting your own farm, farm to table, shit like that. Um, yeah. So I think well, it's like, kind of, uh, I think it's a kind of attempt for them to sort of rebrand themselves into something more like a craft beer. Either way, I thought it was a great commercial, which makes me want to buy Bud Light. So they're doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> well, who doesn't love the mountain? <laughs> That's true. The man is a legend. Yeah, he's like, have you ever seen him throw a dishwasher? It's incredible. All right, I'm back. Uh, welcome back. I was just talking to your dear listeners. Oh, that's fine. Uh, some AT&T salesman was at the door. And I don't really care. <laughs> they were alerting me they got AT&T in the area, which, oh, well, AT&T. Also, like, what is this, like the 1800s? You know, why is AT&T not already there? Well, he said he sent me a letter like two weeks ago. First off, he doesn't know if they sent me a letter two weeks ago. Because <laughs> I know damn well he didn't send me a letter. Again, anyway. what do you, you know, the 1800s, we send in letters. Like, come on, shoot me an email. Oh, yeah, I saw the horse and buggy pull off the street last week. <laughs> I'm, delivering, I'm delivering the milk and the mail at the same time. Yeah, I might keep all of this in the podcast. Anyway, I'm going to get back to beer. Okay. We're, we're over the mountain. <laughs> Figure not literally. I wish, literally. Yeah. All right, what's up? What's up? Where, where are we going with this? <laughs> We're going with... Uh, so, for these competitions <laughs> that you do, this is great, right? These competitions that you do, you, you had to create your own drinks, right? Uh, every competition is a little bit different. Um, you know, for the local competitions and, and stuff hosted by a bar... Uh, the manager or, or owner of the bar can kind of pick their own rules. So you, you kind of run into this smorgasbord of rules and you just kind of make it up as you go. Some of them feature, you know, your own custom made drink and some of them require you to think on your feet. Okay. So it's kind of like a Gordon Ramsay style. You got a like a competition where you just are given a set list of ingredients. Uh, yeah. I've, I've competed in a couple of different ones. Like the, the one I Two of the last three I did, I had to come up with my own drink. Uh, one had a second round that required me to think on my feet, and the other one was based on that one drink. So, okay. yeah, a couple of them I've had to, you know, I've been given mystery ingredients or have various rules, like you can't use a shaker or this or that. Um, all sorts of different stuff has happened. 
dude. You should, if they don't let you use a shaker, just gargle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, gar- I'm gonna gargle whiskey and spit it into rocks, and then just serve that. <laughs> like this is my homebrewed. <laughs> whiskey. Homebrewed, made with love. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would never actually do that. <laughs> for the record, there's pieces of me. Yeah, I know, I'm just dicking around. Yeah. For all the listeners, he's not going to do it. I would. I would do it to you. That's fair. If you were the judge of a competition, I, I would serve that to you. I would drink all of it. Good, sir. Yeah, but like some of the bigger competitions, there, there's a couple big ones. Um, like the big national ones with that are hosted by uh, – you know, like Bacardi or, or your big, um, even if your big international corporations like Diageo and, and all these okay. guys, they, they do massive challenges where it tests every aspect of what it is to be a bartender and a bar manager, all the way down to your ability to interview or not interview um, inventory quickly. It's really, yeah. Some of these are crazy intense and they have like 12 different rounds to find the best bartender. It's, it's, it's crazy intense. They were quite good though. Cause then you're not like, you're not getting uh bartenders that are just excelling in one area. You've got the complete package. Oh yeah. They, uh, re- they have like written tests followed by like you, there's some that there's some that I've read about. I've never personally competed into in them. I'm hoping to someday. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some I read about where they, they keep you up for like 24 hours and you like work a shift, have like a written test, then you inventory, then you like have to come up with a few custom drinks and then you work another shift. And if you make it through all of it and pass all the tests, that's how you win. And then they just like exhaust you. <laughs> so it's like an ultra marathon in bartending. Yeah. Which I think that's the true test of a service industry, you know? It's just one long shit. How, how long can you stay on your feet? I'm going to work a double today and pick up somebody else's shift afterward in the morning. Yeah, yeah I'm going to double into a clopin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how am I going to do it? Coffee and more drinks. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do it with a little taste of beer off the tap and uh, an uncomfortable amount of caffeine and then stale fries from the kitchen. Yep. <laughs> it's really the dream. <laughs> oh yeah i heard uh when washington sailed across the delaware he can be seen munching on an old fry <laughs> i'm sure that is factually correct <laughs> i must have skipped that day in in you know american history class i think your seat was open yeah <laughs> yeah no I-, I remember that day precisely Yes, of course. Of course. Ten years ago. It would have been almost ten years ago now. Got him all. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's uh, been a hell of a ride. Yeah. So you got into uh, craft beer, and then you wanted to start homebrewing. Yeah, I did start homebrewing. I still do. It's fun. You still do? Yeah. All right. I wasn't sure if – the equipment got lost when we all moved away. No, no, I've got, I've got it all still. I ju- actually just unpacked it. Um, I've got a new recipe written that I'm going to put together. 
uh, pretty soon. It should be turn out pretty good. It's nothing too intense, just a nice, uh, nice pale ale. Okay. Yeah. Should be fun. There's a new home brew, brew store opening up uh, right, right by me. So I'm pretty excited to get in there, get some fresh ingredients and throw a batch together. Hopefully, really hopefully this one doesn't explode on me though. Dude. That would dude, you're so lucky you didn't die in that. <laughs> I know. That's when I realized there is danger into brewing beer is having two cases of overpressurized beer explode into shrapnel that I found years later still embedded in my things. <laughs> it's like uh what would you call that house? Just I used to call it my shanty. Your shanty, yeah. So you used to live in a one-bedroom house that I'm pretty sure was sinking into the ground. Yes, yes. Every wall leaned in a different direction. <laughs> Every floor angled in a different direction. And when a semi drove by the house, the whole house would shudder as if it was moments away from collapsing on, on top of me. So picture that. And then I'm talking to the, everybody else. Picture that house, Garrett sitting two cases of beer freshly uh, kept into his bedroom, walking into the next room, and then every bottle exploding. Also, I would like to, you know, just throw this out there. That shanty, my furnace was in the living room. In the middle of the living room was an upright furnace. You had a possum living in between your shower and the wall. Yes, yes, and spiders in the house. It was a terrible existence while I lived there. Yeah, the cases exploded, um, but like it would like it was it was, it was wild because some of the bottles exploded with such a pressure and so much force that the glass turned into powder. It was almost like sand in some of these spots. Uh, and I remember, I remember my, my one back my backpack was next to the to the one case. And the glass exploded into the backpack and it embedded and shredded part of my backpack. I had to, I had to go buy a new backpack because there was so much glass just shoved and expo- just crammed into the back of my backpack. Uh, good times. You need to push your button. Garrett, push your button. Do something with the phone. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) I had a half an hour. I had one job to do. (laughs) (laughs) And I forgot to do it. Uh, Damn it. uh, That's all right. And it, it happened in the middle of the story, just like we said. Yep, cut out, and I was like, yep, he forgot. I'm going to set an alarm real quick so that doesn't happen again. All right. Timer? Yeah, so you still homebrew. Are you working on beers for when you try and open your own brewery and or bar? Yeah, you know, every, every recipe I put together is with the intention that, you know, people would like to drink it. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm planning for that. I'm mostly just trying to brew beer I like to drink. Okay. And, you know, the best recipes that come together, if the timing comes right and I, you know, when I open, 
if there's a situation where I can, I can brew and serve my beer, the best recipes are going to stay, you know, cause I, I, the more, the further I've gotten into uh, bartending and, and the service industry in particular, the more I'm realizing, you know, I, I kind of have to play the market. I open in depending on, you know, where I open, I've been blessed with the ability to travel off with. You've been blessed with the ability to travel. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of places and been able to drink and eat in a lot of places. And uh, the, the key to opening a bar and restaurant or brewery or distillery is you got to play your markets. Um, so, you know, if I open and have a market where, you know, my own brewed beer would be right. Hell yeah. Some of these recipes could make it. Some of them are pretty solid. I remember even when you first started, they were still solid. Well, yeah, the, the case that exploded, you remember we had uh I think I, I think four bottles survived and they were the bombers and we'd, yeah. open, we'd open them and they'd explode like champagne. <laughs> we'd literally pop them and spray them around and then drink what was left. Oh yeah. I remember uh, I gave one to uh, one of my buddies and I was like, when you get home, make sure you open this in the safe area. Cause it's going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> just like four or five of these bottles that we saved, they just pop yeah. crazy. Yeah, that was, I mean, but that was a good IPA. It was very citrusy. It was bitter. It was a little too bitter, but it was good. It was drinkable. Mm -hmm. But like you said, you want to give the people what they're asking for, not what you want to force down their throats. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, you got to brew what's what's selling. Especially as the industry gets more competitive, you have to, your your staple beers, your staple, you know, drinks or, or beers, or even in even in liquor, your staple liquor, if you're distilling or brewing, it has to move. So you got to give the people what they're drinking. Yeah. If they're all drinking wheat beers and you're only brewing stouts, well, you're not going to do as well if you, as if you had a great wheat beer on tap. Mm-hmm. And they may come to uh, love those stouts if you have a great wheat beer on tap. They're more likely to try your other stuff. Yeah, that's a big thing too. Is you know, so many so many people are used to drinking, uh, you know, say Budweiser or mm-hmm. Corona. Which don't get me wrong, I love Corona and Budweiser. I'm a big fan of Diesel. But you know, if you want to try something new, at some point you have to you know get out of there. And when you look at a menu that you, you're not sure what it is, you don't know what to get. But then you have a you have a bartender come along and be like, "Hey, here's a great beer that will start you off in craft beer." And it could be something as simple as like uh, Upland Champagne Velvet. Like, I love that beer. It's a light lager. It's made from corn, just like corn. I think it's corn and uh, wheat, which Bud Light and Budweiser is corn and rice. Like, so it's not that far off. A great way to get people into craft beer. Oh, yeah. I always tried to move them into... Uh... I'm only thinking of Dogfish Head right now. It's not Dogfish Head. Uh, Bell's Two Hearted. Oh, yeah. Two Hearted is very popular, especially out here. You know, we're, we're three hours, I think three hours from Kalamazoo, and, and that beer is everywhere. It's one of my, it's, I'm at a whiskey bar, and Two Hearted is one of our, uh, is our top selling beer. I mean, it's just subtle enough that if you are used to those Budweiser's, Miller Lights, stuff like that, you can make that transition and then kind of, gain your trust into more craft beer yeah and once you find you know that's yeah that's a very very good way of putting it you know gain your trust (laughs) 
you know, when there's so many options and there's all these weird, weird, crazy German women, German words and all this, this other terminology that you may not know. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to go with what you trust and yeah, it's going to be what you've drank forever. For sure. I mean, I'm, I mean, I used to not drink uh, cocktails. You're craft cocktail bartender now. And, uh, you know me. I would be a horrible judge because I would just be like, nah, there's too many ingredients. We just need the whiskey. We just need the rum. Maybe some ice. So we need- I've always wanted to put a drink on the menu. Like I plan on it in this, uh, the next menu shift, I'm going to put a drink on our menu and it's going it, to, I'm going to name it and everything. I haven't, I have a name saved. Um, I'm not going to say it yet, but the ingredients are on the menu are going to, are going to, I want to list them. Whiskey, rocks, glass. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. And then I'm going to name it and put it in with like our house cocktails. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time, uh, right when I kind of made the transition from a, a speed bartender or, uh, you know, slinging drinks as fast as I could in college to cocktails. I was working at two different breweries and I uh, made the transition up. I had a good friend that I bartended in college with. He was working at a great bar in Indianapolis, Spoken Steel. And he was like, he literally said to, he said to me, he's like, Hey, you come on down. Let me make you some drinks and see if you see if you want this position I have open up. He's like, they want me to find someone and you're, you're who I thought of first. And you, you, me and uh, Kurt went in there and we all ordered cocktails and, and I was loving my cocktail and you got this cocktail. And if I remember correctly, it was a twist on a Boulevardier. It was like scotch and Campari and sweet vermouth. Yeah. And it, and you were so upset. It was a delicious, a beautiful drink, really great presentation. It was it was awesome, awesome cocktail. And you were upset because the only word under that drink you read was scotch. <laughs> and as soon as you got to scotch, you stopped reading, and you just assumed yeah. you were getting a glass full of scotch. <laughs> and you ended up letting me drink it, and you got scotch. <laughs> yeah, because I I remember getting it, and I was like, Garrett. They ruined scotch. <laughs> yeah, you said they ruined scotch. I was like, this is exactly what you ordered. This is this is what you ordered. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm all up in the craft cocktail game now. Do you have? I doubt you do, but do you have copper bottom rum up there yet? Ooh, we we may. Uh, you know, being being a whiskey centric bar. I don't see as much rum come through. We may. They've only been open about three years, I believe, in October. And uh, if I, I don't know the rules as far as crossing state lines and everything, but if I could get you a bottle of Copper Bottom, I don't know if you'd be able to sell it at the bar, but it's pretty good. Yeah, so I can't legally sell it at the bar. Okay, but you can ta- you can taste it at home. Yeah. And as far as crossing state lines, uh, this is not my, um, I'm not a lawyer. So this is not legal counsel. This is me as a private citizen uh, saying that. If you're going to drink it at home, state lines don't matter. It was the. uh, Yes. I figured it would matter. Alcohol is a lot easier than you think. (laughs) I'll leave it. Yeah. I was more worried about selling it at the bar as far as me, private citizen, selling it to a bar. Yeah. No, in Indiana. In Indiana, you legally cannot do that. So, I yeah. on the bright side, I would get to drink all of it then myself. Even better. 
yeah, I don't, I don't want the rest of the world to have it. You know, that's mine now. Yeah. The nice thing about them is they, uh, they handcraft it. Everything is done in house. That's, that's the way to do it. Oh yeah. And then they've recently been doing, they'll loan out their barrels to uh, local breweries to brew their beer in. And then when they return them, they uh, make their rum in them. And then it kind of gets a little bit of like notes of that beer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, bear, bear, the bar- market for barrels is insane. There's beer barrel aged, everything, wine barrel aged, everything. And rum's the next, the next great. Barrel-aged. Rum's coming. It is. It's exciting. I, I, I actually, I've, I've gotten really into rum lately. I uh, read something the other day about rum that I found fascinating. And you're a history buff, so you'll probably enjoy this too or might already know about it. But uh, it was talking about, and it was David Broom who wrote it, so I know it's a reliable source. But back in pre-Revolutionary War, when there was that tax hike, uh, France outlawed the sale of molasses. I can't remember why, but you couldn't purchase molasses. So there was an abundance of it in the colonies. Well, because it was so cheap, the British hiked the taxes on the molasses that they were using to make rum. And that was one of the tax hikes that spurred the revolution. Interesting. But then, so they fought, won obviously, and then did the exact same thing to rum that the British did so that we could create whiskey and have our own drink. Wow. Yeah, there's a there's a great book I'm about to read. I didn't know any of that. That's fascinating. Uh, there's a great book I'm about to read and it's all about um it's a rum book and it's like 10 lessons from history, American history all provided by rum. And it's all about classic okay. rum drinks and the history of America and rum. And my, my general manager was literally telling me about this just the other day. And she wants me to read it when she's done. And it's apparently talks all about stuff like that. So I, I, would, I bet that's probably a story in there. You probably, you uh, know what your book's called? No, I honestly can't remember it. She, she was telling me on a Friday night and Friday nights, I just erased my brain at the end of the night. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, this one's easy to remember. It's just called rum by David Broom. That is very easy to remember. Oh, yeah. There's yes. one I want to read, uh, The Dead Rabbits. Oh, excuse me. Dead Rabbits, they have a book out. It's a cocktail book. Nice. And, uh, but it's set up like a comic book. <laughs> so the, the Dead Rabbit has a storyline going as you're learning about these cocktails and all this other stuff. That sounds fun. I didn't know they were making that. Yeah, it's, it's really, well, it seems interesting. I can't say if it's good or not. I haven't read it. Oh, I bet it's gonna be. I bet it's gonna be fun. Oh yeah, there's a great uh, uh, rum and tiki book called Smuggler's Cove. It's about uh, the Smuggler's Cove is the name of the bar, and it's a really incredible uh, tiki bar, which is kind of the uh, the forefront of the rum kind of resurgence in America. Which is pretty, okay. which is pretty cool. It's all just uh, all all rum based drinks, island kind of culture. Really awesome. 
I've actually, I've actually looked for that down here, and I can't find it anywhere. I'm gonna have to order it. Yeah, yeah. Which surprises me, being Florida and rum being a thing down here. (laughs) Yes, rum is is down there quite prevalent. You were talking uh, niches for cocktails in the industry and everything. There's actually a position. I can't remember his real name, but he's called the Rum Ambassador on Instagram. And he's, I don't know if he's voted or what, but he gets to travel the globe trying out different rum distilleries and then different bars that uh, carry rum and they've got the best cocktails and stuff like that. That's his job. Well, now that's, wow. Yeah, that's the job I want. (laughs) I'm going to try and get him on here uh, once I do more rum research. That way I can have an intelligent conversation with him. Uh, I'm going to try and get him on here one time. Jake, do you really ever think you're going to have an intelligent conversation with anyone? With anyone? There's a couple dudes who live on the beach that might be able to hold one with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because living living on the beach (laughs) – that sounds nice too. I could do that. Oh yeah. There's a. Uh, did I tell you about the guy that lives down the road, who uh, he has a sign, and it it says Bigfoot slept with my wife. Dude, Florida is honestly the weirdest place I've ever heard of. <laughs> it's anarchy down here. Like if there was ever a state I were to cut off and, and let become its own chaotic, you know, rebel state. It'd be Florida. It'd be pretty easy too, because it kind of just dangles into the ocean. Yeah, and I already, I think, I don't think anything would change. I think Florida would maintain. I don't think, I don't think it would slip into this, you know, chaotic free land of purging and and burn. I think it would remain. I think everyone would be like, okay, we can do this. We're this is fine. We we love all this chaotic craziness that we already have. Right. It's like a utopia. <laughs> A utopia of dysfunction. Yeah, like I can live on the beach and then I can go pay $100 to shoot a machine gun and then I can go to a strip club and, you know, buy meth and then go to a five-star restaurant. It's quite incredible, really. It really is. All while bringing your pet gator with you. Exactly. You have gators everywhere. I just assume they're like raccoons. Dude, we were somewhere the other day and uh, I was joking around about the water something and victoria was like i'm pretty sure that's where that uh kid got eaten i was like what <laughs> wow yeah that's so cool see that's one of my that's one of my beefs with like i love the i love the midwesterners i think midwesterners are some of the greatest people ever you know particularly hoosiers hoosiers are very nice people but i think we've all gotten soft there's no i think it's balanced out by the cold though I don't think it is. I think we. I think we need to release wolves or bears, maybe mountain lions or cougars, back into the wild in the Midwest because we've gotten soft. Like I can, I can just go sleep in the middle of the woods with zero fear. Oh yeah, 
Like uh, I, when I moved down here, I was jumping into the rivers. Yeah, exactly. And then, I, and then I thought about it, and I was like, I'm not in Indiana anymore. I probably shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. I <laughs> swam in many a creek, trespassed through many a wood with zero consequences or fear. Yeah. But, I've hiked in I've hiked in Colorado and I was quite nervous constantly. Mountain lions exist there. That one dude uh just fought off a mountain lion. Yeah, killed him with his bare hands. Yeah. Now that that is that's uh, pretty impressive right there. I would like to I would like to buy that individual a glass of whiskey. Yes. He might take you up on that. I'm sure he's got plenty of glasses of whiskey coming at him. Yes, he should. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Like you, you, like cats, especially big cats, are like the perfect killing machine. Dude. They have. Even house cats, uh, if a house cat bites you and you don't get it treated, your arm will start rotting. Yeah. Okay. So cats in general are yeah. spawns of Satan. <laughs> the killing machine. No, you know, they got, they've got this incredible night vision. They walk and move completely silently. And they are, through evolutionarily speaking, they only go for your neck. And this dude survived that. Yeah. He fought Satan and won. The dude played death in a game of chess and, and won. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Highly impressive. We should make him a saint or something. Maybe like a national hero, build a statue or something. That's cool. Just right there on the trail. just to- <laughs> At the exact spot. <laughs> <laughs> And over, over to, you know, make it very, very dramatic. Have him, like, choking the gator out, and it's, like, clawing at his face. Yeah, it'd be a gator. Right. Mountain lion out. years from now, they'll be studying human history, and they'll go to that statue. They'll be like, and right here is where they used to worship mountain lions. <laughs> yeah, I guess you completely just blown completely wrong. Like, oh, and their gods were mountain lions. Yeah. That'd be cool. Mountain lions would seem like cool gods. I mean, perfect killing machines. Yeah. They what better would. god. Yeah. Which you know, if you really you know, if you believe in God, if that's if that's your thing, God is then technically the perfect killing machine. True. Because we have gotten way off of <laughs> Hey, you t- you told me I could bullshit on this. Yeah, oh, this is perfectly fun. If you just let me talk, we're going to go down some tangents. Oh, yeah, which is great. I spend my life talking to people. You know how many weird thoughts people have shared with me? It keeps me up at night. (laughs) Like, do you think this is okay? And then just be like, nope, but uh, I got to listen to you. Yeah, no, people, people have asked me a lot of questions where I'm like, ooh, I do not like this question. Yeah. But, I mean, the ability to bullshit with people is important in that industry. I was talking to a guy the other day at work, and I was telling him about how me and you used to – we played darts with each other as completely improv (laughs) two different characters. Yeah, we would be – And he was like, you would what? And I was like, yeah, we talked to each other for hours as other people. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, you're fucking weird. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I I was not expecting you to bring this up. But, yeah, we used to – we would play – 
darts as other people. And we'd have to pick names and backstories and think of it all on the fly. Uh, which, you know, I, I think is, <laughs> which, which sounds absolutely psychotic. <laughs> it's from, taken out of context. Yeah. From the outside, but, looking in, I think it sounds, it sounds very, very, very bad. And we should probably be locked up. But on our side of the, sto- the coin, I've always, I looked at it as a great way to think on my feet as a kind of a challenge to always be able to um, respond and think quickly when, when tasked with the conver- in a conversation. Exactly. You know, I look so, at it more as a way of, to train my ability to speak and, and, and respond to conversational cues. Yeah. And you really have to learn to not only speak, but listen to the person that you're communicating with, because when you have to on the fly, come up with a response, you can't just zone out and then make some shit up. Well, yeah. Cause at some point the other person playing the game is going to instantly know that you're not paying attention or, or lying, gonna... essentially. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not necessarily psychotic, you know, Games like Survivor exist, and these people live fake lives in front of those people. That's true. Just because I do it six beers deep playing darts doesn't mean I'm a weirdo. <laughs> well, if we end up in a mental institution because of this conversation, hopefully they put us there together. Yeah, at least we'd have nice conversations as many a people. <laughs> uh, every, every, every day, just a new person. Right. Yeah, no, I've I've uh, had a lot of people do some interesting things and ask me interesting questions uh, while working the stick. Oh yeah, uh, speaking of that, uh, Michael on Twitter, as I'm introducing him, <laughs> he wanted to know about some of those interesting conversations as far as uh, he's seen on the news about bars having code drinks or code words when someone's feeling uncomfortable or unsafe, and he wanted to know if you've ever run across that or had to intervene in a situation? No, so I, I've, I've been to bars that have that. Um, I've, been, I've been at bars where they have these code words and code drinks that you order, and the bartender will call you an Uber or ask the, the person creeping you out to leave. I've never personally worked anywhere there. Um, I have intervened before in situations. Uh, at, at the exchange, not really. Uh, we're a pretty, uh, pretty high end establishment. Uh, so most people don't come in, you know, with, with that in mind, but that I also work with three incredibly uh, intelligent, beautiful and strong willed women. And they keep an eye on the girls at our bar. And if there's ever a time that someone's creeped out, I've went over to multiple women and been like, Hey, are you okay? Are they bothering you? I'm, I was just watching. Just want to make sure that you're okay. Um, and so we, we keep people ourselves, but I have been to multiple bars where they do have these code drinks, which to the men listening, quit creeping girls out. Stop it. Yeah, it's pretty simple. <laughs> like if they say no, if they, you know, want to quit having the conversation, quit having the damn conversation and go back to your drink. Talk to your bartender. Yeah, exactly. I would much rather you creep me out. Then you creep the girl sitting next to you out. I think that answers that question. <laughs> I don't know. I did my best. 
C's get degrees. C's get degrees. The boss. Okay, so you're, taking, you're taking it down to D's. I said C's. Man. Oh, I said C's, but we can go to D's. Yeah, fuck it. Who cares? Uh. <laughs> All right, what's up next on your little agenda? You know, you're the you're the puppet master over there. Pulling the strings. We've uh, ran out of strings. We just can ad lib now. Oh, we're out of strings. So this we're is my strings. We've answered all the questions so far. You uh, eventually want to start something. Are you still calling it the Iron Triangle? Yeah, the yeah, the Iron Triangle is kind of the over overarching concept. Um, there's already an Iron Triangle Brewing Company. Oh, okay. The, the heart of what the Iron Triangle was originally uh, drawn up as still exists very strongly. Unfortunately, I don't want to talk too much about it because the restaurant and bar industry is the dog-eat-dog world. I don't want anybody out there stealing my ideas. And anybody think that thinks he's full of bullshit, it's already happened a couple times, even within his own city. So No, it does. You know, in, the, in the world of bars and, re- and like restaurants and, and alcohol, and especially, you know, I'll, I'll go craft cocktails. You know, we're not... I'm not inventing the wheel. <laughs> no, the, the, the old fashioned is, is one of, is our top selling drink and we make a great old fashioned and I, 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 we make the best old fashions, but the best old fashions is the original recipe. And that's how we make it. I, I didn't invent it. <laughs> Speaking of the old fashioned, uh, I had a guy ask me to ask you how to make an old fashioned and how to make it a Manhattan. And I told him, I was like, dude, just Google it. <laughs> uh, if you're going to Google how to make a drink, I highly recommend liquor.com. Liquor.com? Liquor.com is a great source, for, especially for classic cocktails. A lot of theirs, uh, they, and they update constantly based on new information. So generally, they have some of the best recipes. Uh, but I can tell you how to make an old-fashioned Manhattan right now if you want me to. If you want to, if you prefer certain ingredients over others, you're more than welcome. Yeah. So the the classic cocktails of old, uh, these really old cocktails that we we at the at the exchange try to replicate as closely as possible. Um, granted, back when these cocktails first came out, most Amer- most of America was drinking cognac at the time. Uh, cognac and brandy was in early America was king uh, instead of whiskey. And when there's the grape shortage in France and and the shipping got screwed up. Americans turned to rye whiskey, which uh, we were producing a lot of rye at the time uh, for bread and, and whiskey. We were creating rye whiskey. Uh, a lot of people think uh, bourbon came first. Rye was our rye was our champion at the time. And so, well, the way we make old fashioned Manhattan's is we uh, start with three dashes of Angostura bitters. You can find them all over the place. Yellow cap, oversized label, Angostura bitters. Three dashes of that over just a, a, a brown sugar cube, like the, you know, the organic brown grain sugar cube, three dashes over that, smash it up with a spoon, put two ounces of rye whiskey on top of that, throw your ice in, stir it up until the sugar dissolves. And then you take an orange peel and twist it over the top and you're done. That's how you make an old fashioned. Manhattan's even easier. No sugar cube. Do your three dashes of Angostura one ounce of sweet vermouth, 
You can pick all sorts. Doolin makes a great sweet vermouth. Uh, Carpano Antica is my favorite. It's a wonderful, wonderful sweet vermouth. Delicious on its own, too. And then your two ounces of rye whiskey. Throw some ice in. Stir it up. If you got a cherry around, toss a cherry in there, too. It's delicious. Super easy beverages to make. I kind of want one now. Hell, yeah. I think I'm going to have one when we're done with this because I have to go down to my home bar and make one. Well, I'm about done and about to wrap it up. So, you got any words for the folks? <laughs> signing off, the host doesn't sign Well, I mean, it could be even as classy as go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> First off, I love San Diego. I would never. I would never tell San Diego to go fuck themselves. No, I'm uh, just going to pull a classic uh, classic line from the Oceans movies. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll see you when I see you. <laughs>